Amen. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. That was awesome. Can we hear it for our worship team one more time? That was, that was awesome. <laughs> that was a banjo in our worship team today. That was awesome. And a violin and everything. I tell you what, some of you wanted to get up and dance during the offering. And you're wondering if that's Lutheran or not. Well, probably not, but it's biblical, so go with it. Um, it to dance for Jesus, amen? Uh, it is good to worship God. And again, we want to say a special welcome to those of you uh, that are new, that are visiting with us today. Maybe you're from another one of Hope's campuses, uh, or maybe you've just been away for, for a while. Uh, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome into our living room here. We're glad uh, that you are here. And I want to say uh, that my, our sincere prayer is that not only you feel welcomed and you feel loved, uh, but that you feel encouraged and you feel challenged in your faith. And we need both of those. We need encouragement and we need challenge. And most importantly, our prayer that you would hear from God directly today. I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear from him. And as we dig into his word today, uh, I, want, I want you to be asking that question, God, what are you saying to me today and what am I going to do about it? God, what are you saying to me today, and what am I going to do about it? And so I want to just focus us in. I know, uh, has anybody been busy recently? Does anybody feel like you're losing your mind sometimes? Oh, my word. Parents with young kids, do you feel like you're losing your mind sometimes? I'm just forgetting things all the time uh, now. It's just getting terrible. But, and that's why sometimes on Sunday mornings, I don't want to give you tons of new information. I want to give you one big idea, and we're going to come at it today from a lot of different angles. But I want to give you one big idea that we're going to focus in on today, that when you're driving home today or when you're walking home or riding your bike or canoeing or flying in your blimp or however you get home, when you're going home today— that this one big idea sticks with you, and it's simply this, that one step, one move towards Jesus changes everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, one step. No, say it like you mean it. Say, one step. One step. This, this, <laughs> this idea really hit me uh, this week. I was thinking about the power of steps this past week as I ventured down into our basement. That's where we keep kind of our grubby clothes and our grubby shoes. And I was getting ready to go out and mow the lawn, which is actually a joy for me. And I went and got these shoes that you can tell are brand new uh, that I, I have used to mow the lawn, as you can tell, for a lot of years. And so as I'm putting them on, I'm sitting on our back steps and getting my stuff ready uh, to go out. And as I'm putting them on, Tiffany, my wife, looks at me and she says, John, how long have you had those shoes? I don't know, spouses, you ever try to stretch the truth a little bit with each other to get off the hook? You know, you know, I never do that, right? So I'm like, oh, they're maybe like 5, 10, 15, maybe 18 years old. I got these shoes in like beginning of high school, junior high, and I said, oh, you know, why do you ask? I said, like, how can you tell that they're old, right? And she said, oh, you know, maybe just because half of the rubber sole, these used to be completely black on the bottom, like half of the rubber sole uh, is missing, maybe because uh, you're, you're walking on cloth on this shoe. Uh, basically, it's, it's completely worn off. And uh, in this one, when you wear it, uh, half of your baby toe sticks through uh, the shoe. And on this one, the second to the last toe uh, sticks through. So maybe, just maybe, uh, it's time to get new shoes. And she says, John, it's time to let it go. And I said, no, <laughs> not these precious shoes. But if you're like me, does anybody hold on to things just way too long? Then, then you should, yeah. So this, this is my thing. And so the reason that these are all worn out is because of all the steps 
I've taken them. You think about how many steps I've taken in 18 years in these things. That's a lot of trips around the lawn, uh, mowing around the lawn. I don't know if you know this, but the average uh, American female, so for those of you that are female, the average American female takes about 5,000 steps a day. Did you know that? And the average American man, average American male, takes about 7,000 steps a day. And now some would say, well, that's just because men work harder and we we work out more and stuff like that. I ran this by a few women this week and they said, oh no, you know what that means? That means that women are getting uh, work done in a third less of the time. And it's called multitasking. Ladies, amen? Okay. But if you count all that up, that adds up to almost a million steps a year. That sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Right? A million steps a year or 100,000 miles in your lifetime. And if that's not exhausting enough, by the end of your life, you will have circled this planet the equivalent of four times. The average lifespan with the number of steps you take, that's exhausting. That's a lot of steps. You will have circled the planet four times. And yet, do you know how many steps it takes to get reconnected in your relationship with God today? One. One step. You are one step away from transformation. Or often, maybe today, if you're like me, you feel a little discouraged. You just kind of feel like there's this gray cloud of heaviness hanging over your life. Or maybe today you're here and you're trying to get reconnected, but you feel so disconnected from God. You just feel so far away and your life is so busy and stressed and cluttered. Or maybe, honestly, you've just been running the opposite direction. If God's over here, you're like, I've been going that way. And I've, I've been rebelling against him. Or maybe you're here and you know and you're doing this whole uh, a church thing, but you know it's not real. You know you're going through the motions, but it's just not real. Real, and you're wondering, what do I need to do to be in a relationship with God today? How do I get reconnected? How do I get unstuck from wherever I'm at? How do I get rid of that gray cloud? Do you know how many steps it takes to turn the whole thing around and to get back on track, regardless of wherever you find yourself today spiritually? How many steps? How many steps? One. One step. That's a lot different than. 100,000 miles, just one step. And of all the steps that you will take in your life, of the millions and millions of steps, it's the one step towards Jesus that's going to change everything for you. And nobody knows that better than our friend Nicodemus in our story today. We'll call him Nick for fun. All right? John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, if you're not there uh, already, turn to John chapter 3. Three. We're starting a brand new series today in the Gospel of John, and if you don't know where that is, it's in the New Testament, so it's going to be kind of in the, kind of the back third of your Bible. The Old Testament's really long, uh, but really exciting. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you are, if you've ever struggled to read the Bible, anybody? All right, just two of us. All right, if you've ever struggled to read the Bible, and you've started a Bible reading plan, and three days later, pfft, Oh, this time I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. Most of the people I talk to that get frustrated starting a Bible reading plan started in Genesis. And they're like, oh, this is fun. Like God created and rainbows and the ark and Noah. This is all fun and fluffy. And then they get to Leviticus. 
and they're like, I am giving up. This is messed up, right? If you don't understand the story, so here's what I would say. If you're just getting started, start with John. Start with the Gospel of John. It is a great gospel, and we're going to spend some time in the gospel of John here over the next month, and I'm really excited about it. It's a brand new series called The Signs of the Times, and John's main focus, as opposed to some of the other gospels, is not to give you every detail uh, and tell the chronological story. John's goal is to show you, chapter by chapter, signs, illustrations, images that all point to Jesus, that he is who he says he is that he is the son of God. Signs of the Times is the name of this series that we're going into. And so if you've found chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, awesome. John chapter 3, verse 1. So when we begin chapter 3, this is fairly early on in Jesus' ministry, and we read that he's been doing lots of miracles, and people are starting to notice, including Nicodemus. So let's look at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, Nicky, as the boys called him, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. Stop right there. Stop right there. There's enough there to preach on for a long time. But I'm not going to bore you with that, but here's the thing. Who is Nicodemus? We can't go on if we don't understand who he is. Okay? So let's start with Nicodemus, and I'm going to show you my, uh, I'll try to rotate this around so you can all see this, but I'm going to start with my uh, amazing art skills here. Um, how do you draw a stick figure? There we go. Okay. So that's the best Nicodemus I can do, um, and he's relatively happy. He doesn't have any hair, uh, and he's a little malnourished, but there's Nicodemus, okay? So he's down here, all right? So Nicodemus is just like us. He lives in this world, right? Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he is a member of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. Everybody say Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. The reason I have you say that is that's a big deal. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, but then there's the Sanhedrin. This is like the the supreme court of the church because the church and state were just all wrapped together back then. This is a big deal. So he's a very prestigious, popular guy. But secondly, do you know why I stopped you after verse 2? He came to Jesus at night. Why would John, the Apostle John, who is a follower of Jesus, why would he choose to include that detail? And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. No other story of anybody interacting with Jesus says, and they came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at half past 3. You know, like, why would he say that? Well, it was no secret that the people that had the most issues with Jesus were not sinners, That's who got along with Jesus the best. So if you feel like you're a sinner today, you're in good company. It was the religious people. They couldn't stand Jesus, and most of the time, Jesus couldn't stand them. Publicly, they were the standard, and Jesus was a threat to the box that they had put God in. Jesus was poking holes in their God box. They had this current understanding of this is what it means to have faith, and Jesus says, no, no, let me rewrite the story a little bit here. So for Nicodemus to be seen with Jesus was to be seen with the enemy. This would be like an Iowa State fan going to an Iowa game or vice versa. You don't want to be seen in the other person's house, right? So Nicodemus is going to hang out with Jesus, but it's, for him, it was worth it. And it was worth one step. Everybody say one step. It was worth one step of courage because something in Nicodemus was stirring about this 
Jesus guy. Jesus was challenging the status quo, which was uh, the Pharisees, among others. It was their understanding that the way to be made right with God was through following the law, was through, essentially, if Nicodemus is down here and Jesus is up here, or God and his standard is up here, that there was this ladder that Nicodemus and his Pharisee buddies thought, if I climb that ladder, if I am good enough, if I follow all these commands perfectly, then I'll be righteous before a holy God. Essentially, it's all about you. Because that's what the Bible says, right? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think it's all about him, right? Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling books of all time, the first line in there, the first line is what? It's not about you. <laughs> and that's what the Pharisees had mixed up. They thought it was, it was all about them. But this wasn't just a, a Pharisee issue in Jesus' day. There's modern-day Pharisees as well. They're called legalists. And they fall into this ditch of thinking that this is Christianity. And if I can just get to the next step, and if I can get up to God's standard by my own effort, then I'm good. If I can just be more religious or more spiritual or pray the right prayers or sing the right songs or whatever that is, then I will be good enough. The problem is, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, it's the opposite. Nicodemus is down there, like the rest of us, living from a worldly perspective, and he, he's down here, we'll say, below. And Jesus is up here more from a spiritual perspective, above. And Nicodemus has this encounter with Jesus, even though Jesus is in the world right now. Jesus is clearly speaking and operating in his ministry from a spiritual level from above. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and takes one step of courage to find out more. But what really ends up happening, Nicodemus doesn't understand. He thinks he's got to get up to Jesus. When really around the back door, Jesus is coming down to him. Jesus is coming down to you. It's almost like Nicodemus thought, I'm going to take this one big step up to Jesus. And just like Jesus would say to you this morning, no, you don't understand. I've already come a million miles to you. In fact, I've moved heaven and earth to meet with you this morning. You're not at some random church service in some random building in some random city with a random group of people. Jesus says, I knew you'd be here this morning at Hope Des Moines. And I've come down to be with you, just like I have with Nicodemus. And I'll meet you wherever you're at. So back to the story, verse 2. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you, he's trying to kind of ease into the conversation, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. I'll give you that, I'll give you credit. Because no one could do the things that you're doing, Nicodemus says to Jesus, unless there's something special about it. You're not just a, another prophet. You're not just an ordinary guy. That's very clear, unless God was with you. You are not an ordinary guy. So, nice way to start the conversation. You would expect Jesus. He's Jesus, right? He's got to be nice. Jesus wasn't always nice. He was loving. But sometimes being loving 
means challenging. Sometimes being loving means shooting straight to the heart. And so Nicodemus is like, I'll just kind of break the ice and kind of compliment Jesus a little bit. And Jesus says, oh, thanks, Nicodemus. That's such a nice compliment. You know, I'm so glad you're here. Let's just sort of ease into the conversation, and you can believe whatever you want, you know, and I'm fine with the way you're living your life. Let's just sit down and talk about our feelings a little bit, Nick. Is that what your Bible says? No! Listen to what Jesus says. This is how Jesus responds. Jesus says, I know, because let me cut right to the chase. Jesus says, I know why you're here, and I know what you need. I know that the way that you live your life is in this constant effort, Nicodemus, to be good enough, and that's the very thing that's keeping you from having your soul be satisfied. And so Jesus is coming to Nick to meet with him right where he's at, but then to raise him up, that this cycle continues to raise him up, not by Nicodemus' own effort, but by Jesus' doing and what he's already done and going to do for Nicodemus. Jesus is coming to Nicodemus, and that's the offer of Christianity. Nicodemus thinks, I've got to work my way up to God. Jesus says, I've already come down to you, and I want to raise you up to start seeing life and living from this spiritual, this above, this kingdom perspective. And the story goes on and on, but you've got to know, this story isn't just about Nicodemus, it's about you. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you as well. One of the things we did with the VBS kids is like, here's you, you are connected with God and we fall in our sin and through what Jesus did through his death and resurrection, he comes down and he dies and he rises again and he picks you up to be connected with you in a relationship with you. And this is how we teach the kids to pray. You were together, we fall and Jesus comes. We don't work our way back up. No, 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 that's not how the illustration works, people. Jesus comes down and picks us up wherever we're at. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about you. Turn to the person next to you, just look at them with a big smile on your face, and say, brother, sister, it is not about you. Just tell them that right now. It is not about you. Some of you that are sitting by your spouse really enjoy that. You've been waiting all week to say that, right? Pastor said I could. Free ticket, right? This is good news, folks. This is really good news because if it was about you and me, if Christianity was about the latter, what hope do we have? Good luck. How's that going for you, as Dr. Phil would say? Not very well. How's that going for you? If my relationship with God for eternity depends on me, then there's no hope for me or for you. If, like Nicodemus thought that life is about climbing some ladder, good luck. If it's about me being good enough, spiritual enough, whatever it is, good luck. Let's get personal for a second. If God's view of me And his love for me, from day to day, is based on me being a good enough husband, a good enough dad, for you a good enough mother, a good enough wife, a good enough parent, a good enough friend, 
a good enough churchgoer. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that for most of us here today, if we were to be completely honest and just kind of take off our churchy masks, which is hard to do, I know, we would say that most days we feel completely inadequate to do what God's called us to do. Maybe I'm not the only one. So let me just be raw and real and honest. Most days, I would imagine that a lot of us feel like we are not enough. I'm letting my kids down. I'm letting my spouse down. I'm letting my friends down. I'm letting my church down. And most importantly, I'm sure I'm letting God down. You ever had those thoughts go through your head? None of those are true. But those are the lies that the enemy likes to plant in our head. And I don't know about you, but a lot of people think the longer you follow Jesus, the more you just go up this ladder and you don't really need grace. I've discovered the longer I follow Jesus, especially the day that I became a pastor, oh my word, the more and more I need him. The more and more I need grace. I don't know about you, but I just realize how blessed I am by people in our lives. The things that Tiffany and I are able to do with this ministry because people come alongside and help us and bless us in so many ways and the ways that you bless us. We're a family. Like, there's no other way to describe it. And the number one distinguishing feature of a healthy family is grace. We are not perfect. And life is not about us. There's something bigger holding all this together. I am reminded every day, I don't know about you, that I am not enough. (laughs) I can't get there. I can't just be who God wants me to be. I have an image, an ideal picture of the man that God has called me to be, but no matter how hard I try, I just keep slipping down that ladder. Yes, I'm making progress. Yes, I'm growing in maturity, but I feel like I just am never going to be enough. And here's the good news for those of you, maybe one of you just feels the same way that I do. Here's the good news. God doesn't leave us there in this constant trying to be good enough our entire life. And here's the thing. We struggle with this, but I love how kids understand these things way better than us sometimes. This past week, I was, uh, well, pretty much every day, I play basketball with our two-year-old Caleb in our driveway. And so we have this adjustable hoop. And so when we first got it, I mean, it was used. It's not the greatest thing, but you can still adjust it. And so I had it at 10 feet because sometimes I can still, I try to tell myself and lie to myself that I can get there and I can almost dunk it, which I could dunk a mini basketball in high school. I'm just saying, got a fallback career if the pastor thing doesn't work out. So, and I try to tell myself that now that I'm an old man, I can still do that. But I can't, no matter how much I try to lie to myself. And, I, and then Caleb's like watching me, and I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, show, show him how it's done, you know. Daddy and I run, and I just like, one time I slipped on some acorns that had fallen from the tree and just fell on my rear, and he's, Daddy, you okay? You know, and I get to try to do that, right? And so then, one night I went out, and I lowered it to like seven and a half, right? 
because I could have just done nine, but I wanted to lower it down without Tiffany seeing, because then I can still be like, hey, look, it, I'm, I'm Duncan, right? <laughs> Showing off, right? Pretty awesome. You might think, oh, that's, you know, that was really cute, John, for you to do that so that Caleb could feel a little bit better, and, you know, and it's not so high for him. No, I didn't do it for Caleb. I did it for me so I could dunk and feel powerful, and feel in control, and feel like I can get up to that standard, like I can get up there and dunk. And so <laughs> here's what happened. So that's how I play basketball in the driveway. The way that Caleb plays basketball is he's about this tall, and so he'll grab one of the full-size basketballs that we have that's like basically the size that he is, and his way of playing basketball is he'll walk over to the hoop, even though it's only seven and a half feet, it's still pretty tall, and he'll walk up and he'll look under it and go, that's a big hoop. <laughs> and then he'll turn and take how many steps? One step. And turn around and look at me and go, Daddy, help. <laughs> like so innocently and so freely. None of this, uh, uh, try harder, be better, strive more. That's a big hoop. First step, first idea, daddy help. Is that your first option when you're trying to be better in life? Daddy help. No, 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 no. See, I'm strong. I'm an adult. I've got it made. I've got it put together. I don't need daddy's help. Do you know what Jesus called his father when he was on this earth? Abba, which means daddy, daddy help. My two-year-old just got what Nicodemus on the Sanhedrin, the religious council of Israel in the time of Jesus, couldn't get. My two-year-old just got what you and I spend a lot of our Christian lives struggling with. Asking for help. And there's only one person when you're down here and you're stuck in your sin that can pull you up and help you, and it's your daddy. We don't say, Daddy, help. We say, Jesus, I know I can do it. If I just try harder, then I'll, I'll keep reading the Bible and I'll pray more and I'll go to church every week and I'll be a better husband and I'll be a better father and I'll be a better mother and I'll be a better wife and I'll be a better Christian or whatever it is. And we go back to the Bible and it says, in quietness and rest is your salvation. No striving. The truth is, you are never going to be good enough. And that's why Jesus came to us. If I had to ask you, what's the most famous verse in the whole Bible, what would you say? Right? Think Tim Tebow. Right? John 3.16, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave you as a gift, his one and only son, that he came down the ladder to you so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Down here in the world, this is where you and I live. This is where we all live. We can't change that. It's like the weather. You can't change that. And one thing you can't change about living in the world is that at some point it's going to end. And the only hope we have is for Jesus to come down this ladder to us to raise us up. We're down there. 
We're in the same place that Nicodemus was. And Jesus has literally moved heaven and earth to come to us so that all we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is respond and receive it. A.K.A. Daddy, help. Not, that's a big hoop, but that's a pretty tall standard, God. Holiness, perfection way up there. I mean, I can get to about here, but I don't know if I'll ever get up there. What if our first reaction was, whoa, Jesus, help. Daddy, help. What if that was our first response? Where is that famous verse in the Bible again? John Jesus said those words to Nicodemus. Not some random verse that goes on a plaque on your wall. This is like a real-life conversation. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, and that's good news. This is good news if for any of us today that are feeling lost or weary or worn out from feeling like you're letting God down. Stop looking at you, God says. Stop looking at you. So many of you spend your entire Christian lives navel-gazing about everything that you're not. Stop looking at you, God says, and start looking to me. Daddy, help. Look at me, God says. Look at how strong I am for you. Look at how much I can provide for you. Look at how faithful I am for you. Look at how loving I am, not how you've let me down. You were never holding me up, God says. Look at me, God says. Look at my goodness. And that process, that process takes how many steps? One step. Daddy, help. But you dig a little bit deeper into the story, and we get all these layers, and we get all, it's very, very simple. Like, did you hear that? If, if you don't hear anything else I say today, or really ever, God loves you. Not some future version of you. God loves you. He loves you right now. Right now. Most important thing I could ever say, and it's, it's very, very simple, and yet we make it so confusing because here's what we do. We take phrases like this next phrase that Jesus says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be what? Born again. Say, what, Jesus? Like, we kind of understand what that means. But can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Like, I don't fault Nicodemus for saying, uh, Jesus, um, I can't really go back into my mother's womb. Like, it doesn't really work that way. Like, what's going on here, right? And what we have done is we've taken this phrase and we've really, really misconstrued it. Some of you, when you hear that phrase, born again, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I just think of like some crazy televangelist on TV that's standing up and you're like, you can't sleep and you're watching that crazy preacher on TV at 3 a.m. 3 in the morning and, uh, and he's like, in order to be saved, you must be born again, right? Or whatever he's doing, he's got his towel and he's sweating and people are falling over that whole, it's just this kind of weird, like pressure-filled spiritual, and there's nothing wrong, like sometimes people are legitimately getting healed, most of the time not. Most of the time it's a show. However, that phrase, born again, has been used, and this simple phrase 
which just means that we're coming to know Jesus, has come to be this, like, it's another step. Like, oh, I'm a Christian, but somebody will come up to you. I, <laughs> I had somebody tell me this that went to a certain Christian college, and it was, like, very, very conservative. Somebody came up to him the very first day. They were a Lutheran. And somebody came up to him, and they said, so what kind of a Christian are you? And this gal that's a friend of mine said, uh, a Lutheran one? And the person responded, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were born again. And like, that's really confusing because I think the Lutherans have the penthouse suite in heaven wrapped up for us and everything. I'm just kidding. I was kind of confused about that. But somehow we've misconstrued this idea that to be born again is somehow, if you're not born again as a Christian, then you're somehow a junior Christian or a junior varsity Christian. Again, which the problem is that's nowhere in the Bible. Or we say, if you haven't prayed the, the prayer, the sinner's prayer a certain way, or if you haven't had an exact spiritual experience, if you, then you're somehow less than. You're farther down the goodness ladder before God. That's not what Jesus says to Nicodemus. It's not what the Bible says says. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what the actual Greek is, if you dig a little bit deeper. This born again, when Jesus says this to Nicodemus, everybody say, ganeo. Oh, say it like you mean it. Ganeo. Ganeo. We're learning Greek today, people. Ganeo anothen. Everybody say anothen. Kind of like anonson, but not. Anothen. Ganeo means Born, but it's actually a little bit, it's kind of a loose translation. It's a little bit better translated begotten. Begotten, which in the Greek, there's male and female words. It's a little different, and there's gender neutral words, but this is a masculine word. Whenever we hear begotten, it's associated with a father. It means born or begotten of a father, which I'm here because of Stefan, <laughs> my father. I am begotten of the Anansen clan. And you are begotten of your father, whether he's still alive, you have a good or bad relationship with him. That's one thing you can't change. We are all begotten of a father. Not just an earthly father, but a heavenly father. Not one that has let you down or that's been a terrible influence in your life, but a father that loves you more than you'll ever know. That's Ganeo. Everybody say Ganeo. And again, anothen. Everybody say anothen. And a more literal translation, a little bit better. Born again is fine, but a little bit better is begotten. And then anothen is from above. From above. Born in a spiritual sense. That's why when you hear some people say kind of this Christianese term, like, it's my spiritual birthday, what, basically what they're saying is, that's the day that I knew I could call him daddy. Regardless of what spiritual experience I've had down here, that's when I knew I have a new father, a.k.a. born again is when God says, you're mine. And when we put our faith in Jesus, what we're saying is, God, I'm going to choose to believe that what you say about me is above and beyond any other opinions or judgments of this world. That believing in Jesus, being born again, isn't saying, Lord, look at all these things I have done for you. It's saying yes to what God has already done for you on the cross and who he says you are. And today, that is a son 
or a daughter. A son or a daughter. And that is going to get real. I'm really excited at our second service if you want to do the double dip today. Uh, we're having a baptism, and it just happens to be for a little Miss Annenson that is getting baptized today, our daughter Everly. And I'm so excited about this because this is the picture. This is what baptism is all about. And so uh, we were prepping for today, and so we took a family picture uh, with our young son and uh, our baby. So there we are. Um, <laughs> wait a minute, Andrew, how did that one get up there? That's, that's a little odd. But see, he's losing his hair, and she's beautiful, and she's got nothing on Tiffany, by the way. But there's Caleb, you know, and Evie. I, maybe we need to get a different family picture. But you know what? I, I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's a mistake. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. Because when we baptize kids, and those of you that are parents, no matter what age your kids are, do you know what the best thing that you could ever tell them is? They're royal. That's not the royal family. This is the royal family. And that's what happens in baptism. I'm going to tell Evie as often as I can, you are an heir to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are a daughter of the King. You are royal. Tell your kids that when you boot them out of the house when they go to school every day. Say, I love you, be royal. AKA, live into who God says you already are. In fact, one of my favorite things to do with Evie right now is she's starting to uh, smile and to laugh a little bit. She's about three and a half months old, and what I'll do is sometimes I get whiskers when I don't shave really well, and so I'll, I'll come up, you know, she's got this soft little baby skin, and I'll just give her a little whisker rub, and you know, we call them Eskimo kisses. I don't know what you call them, but we kind of rub noses like that, and then I'll just give her a bunch of little pecks, just a bunch of little kisses. Caleb never liked this. He smacked me, but she loves it, and, and what she'll do in her little girly way is that she'll just kind of, <laughs> she'll kind of do this little like, kind of like a little giggle, and she'll kind of go like that and kind of be all bashful and everything. It's almost like she's, art, she's like three months going on 16. <laughs> and it, it's almost like she's saying, oh, Dad. Oh, Daddy. You're embarrassing me. And she doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to do that when she's 16, too. I'm going to give her whisker-rubs and Eskimo kisses, and she'll probably still roll her eyes. But deep down inside, she'll know, even if she doesn't want to be seen with me in public. Deep down inside, I pray that she'll know that her identity, she is begotten, right? Not just of me, but of her heavenly father. That her identity will never be found ultimately in what somebody else says about her, especially a man. Women, you do know that, that the most important opinion about you is not what men say. It's what your father says. He created you, so he gets the first word. And I want her to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's a daughter of the king of kings, that she is radiant, that she is beautiful inside and out, that she is captivating. And I, I'm starting to think about this and get emotional, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I look at her, and I watch her grow up, and I get so passionate about knowing her and loving her as her father, and then I get to this story, and the next few verses after Nicodemus are, for God so loved the world 
that he sent his one and only son. (laughs) And I go, oh yeah. There is somebody, believe it or not, that loves her more than I ever will. And that's a pretty amazing thought, and he loves you too, for real. And as much as we think about baptism as some like cute little ritual for babies, you gotta know it's for you. Because sometimes we get just as confused about our identity as adults, not just the kids. We, as adults, we look everywhere else for it. If you really peel back the layers of why you do what you do, it's, we'll look everywhere for our identity. It's in the clothes that we wear, to the things that we buy, to the, the social cir- circles we hang out with, to the, to the tough guy or the strong woman persona that you think you have to put on to cover up the baggage and the wounds and the insecurities from your past. And it's there. I'm tough. I'm strong. All in an effort to project an image to the world. And your heavenly father comes along to you today and says, did you forget that you are begotten from above? That you've been born again? Did you forget who you are? Did you forget your identity? Did you forget who you are? You've been begotten from above. You have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. Let me say that again. As a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to lose and you have nothing to prove. What if we actually live that out? Just go with me for a second this next week. Maybe we would pay more attention to God's desires than everybody else's opinions on what your priorities should be this week. If you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose, maybe you wouldn't be so worried about keeping up with the Joneses. Which I kind of started to see in our culture is whoever else is in my season of life, then I have to like measure myself against them. I have to make sure that I'm never seen alone or single because there must be something wrong with me. I have to make sure that as a parent, my kids are acting perfect. I have to make sure that I'm parenting the right way. Uh, I have to make sure that I make enough or that uh, farther on in life that I'm doing retirement the right way and I'm just comparing myself to everybody else. Maybe if we had nothing to prove and nothing to lose, we would, things would just start dropping out of our schedule because we realize how much time you spend in your life doing things to earn the approval of people that you don't even like. Instead of him and his opinion. I wonder if we just start looking at all the choices we make and all the things that we put ahead of worship, put ahead of Bible study, put ahead of our relationship with God, and when we're in this relationship with him, we have nothing to lose and nothing to prove, that the anthem of our lives would be, oh, whatever that is, Jesus is better. Even good things, my sports, my hobbies, even grandkids. I know that sounds scandalous to say, even my children. Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, that's going to naturally overflow out of my life. So when people look at you, they can say, Jesus is oozing out of you. Because Jesus is better than any of those other things, and Jesus makes everything else in your life better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So believe and receive. How do you get it? You believe and you receive. You turn around and you take how many steps? One, and you say, Daddy, help. I want to get reconnected with you today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for those of you that feel stuck or disconnected, some of you are burned out on church. Let God fill you up with the power of his Holy Spirit in a brand new way, and you just ask him. One step changes everything. We talked about it last week with Zacchaeus. 
One step, come down out of the tree and let Jesus change your life. Nicodemus, in the cover of night, one step, let Jesus tell you how much he loves you. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son goes off, and some of you feel like a prodigal today, like you've run away from God, and you've squandered the inheritance, and you've done all these terrible things, and now you're crawling back wondering, is he ever going to accept me? Is he ever going to forgive me? And it says the son took a step towards home, and he came up the driveway, and I just imagine this long driveway, and the son takes one step. How many steps? One step. And it says that the father, representing God, comes running to him to meet him where he's at, comes down the ladder to us, running to us, and wraps us in his arms and says, I love you right now. Not when you get your marriage cleaned up. Not when you get your prayer life cleaned up. Right now. Right now. And it takes one step. Nobody knows that better than the great theological hero, Indiana Jones, who in this timeless scene shows us how one-step faith changes everything, even when you can't see it. Let's take a look. Just believe, the old man says. Are we, are we promised a safe and comfortable life as followers of Jesus? Absolutely not. But you'll find your way. One step of faith changes everything. Indiana Jones knew that. Nicodemus knew that. Zacchaeus knew that. What's your next step today? To get reconnected with God. Discovered that in a powerful way. I want to just share this final story with you. A couple weeks ago when we did these baptisms at the river that we told you about. And every year it just grabs me. Something grabs me. Folks, we baptized 43 people. Praise God for that. Amen. I uh because it's at the river and there's some woods, I decided to get my inner John the Baptist on. So I came walking out of the woods with a big you know, goat skin, camel skin on and eating locusts. And, and I just came out and to everybody at the beach that day, whether they were from the church or not, I just said, repent, all you sinners. No, I didn't do that. But one, one by one, these folks came out into the river. And it was one of the last guys that came out. And uh, a lot of these folks, you have to know, have been through recovery, as I know a lot of you still are or a part of. I mean, let's get real. We're all in recovery, right? We're all broken. But this one guy in particular, we'll call him Randy. Randy was one of the last ones to come out, and he, he came out, and a question that I ask to people when they come out to be baptized by me is I just, it's like the sun's shining down. It's a beautiful day, and I just say, do you have anything you want to tell God today? Anything you want to say to him before you're baptized? And uh, nobody had really taken me up on that all day because it's kind of awkward, you know, with the pastor. And Randy says, oh, yeah, I do. I got some things to say. It's a little rougher around the edges. And <laughs> this big, strong, tough man turning his face to the sky goes, well, hey, Father, it's your guy Randy again down here, uh, kind of know your way up there and I'm, I'm way down here, but I uh, just want to say I'm sorry for the man that I've been. And um, You know, I know, 
I know you can hear me, so I just want to say I'm sorry and I'm, I'm ready to start living life in a brand new way. I know I'm not perfect and I, I, know, I know I have a long way to go, but I want to be your man uh, more than anything else. And I want to live life with you every day. I want to follow you. And I know I'm not perfect, and God, we'll, we'll get there. I just want to thank you for being my dad. I just want to thank you for just being baptized today. And then he looks down, and he looks over at me and goes, How was that? Did I do okay? And I am, like, wiping tears from my eyes. And I go, that was perfect because it was real and in that moment I just got this picture of God smiling down on Randy saying that's my boy who I love right now right in the middle of his recovery this is my son Randy whom I love with whom I am well pleased and who today, my love has come down in the form of baptism. My love has come down the ladder to meet him and to meet you. And all it takes to start that relationship for the first time or to get reconnected with him is how many steps? How many steps? Just one step to say, Daddy, help. The price has been paid. The victory has been won. And we can celebrate that today. So I want us to stand together and we're going to close today by singing this old, old hymn, Jesus paid it all. And let's sing it like we believe it, like we have the greatest news to share. Oh, praise the one, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Let's sing it together and think about what we're saying. Let's thank him that the cross is enough. Let's worship together.